Welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. First story today is going to be about SNL's Michael Che. He landed a joke that kind of got him in some hot water. Uh, There were some outcries from multiple Jewish organizations that lambasted the insinuation that he had brought upon them, which, of course, revolved around some sort of pseudo-apartheid Israeli state in which Jews receive preferential treatment, even amongst important things such as vaccine distribution, which the joke originally, of course, was that about half of the population was appreciative of Israel's inoculation efforts, joking, of course, that that half was primarily the Jewish half that was receiving the vaccinations, insinuating again, of course, that the Muslim super minority inside uh, Israel and Palestine, tangentially speaking, was not receiving the vaccines that they were at least promised or that the nation should have been promised. Israel, of course, being one of the nations that has taken this very seriously, and especially their efforts to vaccinate the entire population have been gargantuan in comparison to some other states. This, of course, could be attributed to the small size of the nation and the incredibly opulent nature of the nation. There's a lot of wealth in a very small country, especially one geopolitically located in the Middle East, which is rare for that location. So you could claim that per capita it makes sense. But regardless, looking at it as it is and the joke as it is, there does seem to be just a little bit of precedent for this joke. It is not entirely baseless. Of course, it does seem somewhat anti-Semitic. And of course, SNL is uh, where the joke is told. Of course, it is not, I don't want to say a stranger to controversy. It does make a joke every so often that is somewhat over the line. It is kind of in their wheelhouse. It's how they operate. Uh, and it really shouldn't be surprising to a lot of folks, though I think there was a powerful case to be made that it is at the very least harmful to the stereotype of maybe not Israel, but the Jewish people, though, of course, reading up on this subject and and reading up on this entire scandal, you'll see many folks, even those who find it offensive to say that calling this anti-Semitic is kind of like the boy who cried wolf. It's not even that in this case, it wouldn't be true, but it does sort of devalue the accusation. If you bring out the, the big guns for a mosquito Yes, it will kill the mosquito. You'll have wasted some very valuable ammo. And going forward, a lot of people will understand how the cannons work. So I think it's it's one of those situations where you can laugh off a racist joke or an anti-Semitic joke, even while recognizing its failings, at least in a politically correct way, and move on with your life. And I think it's what we all have to do, though. I do kind of want to get into the political precedent of this. Of course, Israel has a famously rocky relationship with its neighbor, Palestine, of which they split a land that they both claim to be their home. This kind of spirals into every single geopolitical issue that they have, which, of course, does include the coronavirus. There was an incident on Wednesday that kind of encapsulated the whole thing. There was vaccines being delivered by the Russians going to Palestine, not to Israel, but they were stopped at the border in Palestine, which, of course, famously cuts Israel, famously cuts Palestine in half with the West Bank and other. So in in Gaza and the West Bank, there was a shipment of vaccines that were stopped and halted for a number of hours, uh, later resolved, and they did make it through. It was only about a thousand, so it really wasn't a fight worth dying for. But even with that said, that was one nation interfering with another nation's ability to distribute vaccines amongst their population. It is definitely at the very least, maybe not criminal, but incredibly agitatory. It seems to be an aggressive posturing that Israel has kept for the past, you know, at least 50 years. So it's nothing necessarily new, but it is at least needs to be recognized that, yes, while 
Israel is is largely demonized oftentimes. There's a lot of precedent for most of the stuff they're demonized for. You look at the settlements, you look at some very eye-catching, but of course, unfortunately, sometimes true articles about the assassination of child soldiers or child militants or even just children, uh, which is the largely important part there. Of course, this isn't just an Israel's, I do not intend for the the entire podcast to be an Israel-centric critique and balanced critique of Israel and their foreign policy. However, the joke as it pertains to American politics, of course, you had people on both sides, of course, getting quite riled up. Uh, There was arguments on Twitter following the joke and the outcry of the joke calling for BDS and a number of pro-Palestinian movements. And of course, there was a counter pro-Israel movement. And of course, it, it just goes to show how it is such a proxy war for American politics, at least in this stage. Palestine versus Israel seems to be that anti-war versus pro-foreign policy, very aggressive foreign policy in America. And it doesn't necessarily run down party lines. It does seem to have a lot of gray area in some of the closer parts of the party. The centrist parts of the party tend to be pro-Israel, centrist to Democrats and centrist Republicans. And the further you get to the fringes on both sides, you see anti-Israel, pro-Palestine movements for different reasons. Of course, on the right, it's anti-Semitism. On the left, it is not primarily anti-Semitism, but instead anti-interventionalism, anti-colonization, neo-colonization that they often view Israel as. Uh, Of course, it being a nation founded just after World War II in an effective reparations scheme for the Holocaust. So you want to make arguments for it, you can. Uh, You can also make many arguments against it. Uh, Of course, it's just a recurring culture war that it's often important to highlight uh, and to draw parallels to in the United States, how it it really does divide us, maybe not even on party lines, but another show of partisanship through foreign political lens that is, is not often discovered. Moving on with our second story of the day, we have Donald Trump's very important Supreme Court case, which was unfortunately for him rejected Uh, It was an appeal to shield tax records from the district attorney of Manhattan, Cyrus Vance Jr., who appears to be on his way to attaining those tax records that Donald Trump has been so careful to conceal for the past four years. He, of course, promised many, many times to release them never did. There are many questionable reasons for this. It's one of those things where if you have nothing to hide, why hide it at all? Does it seem to implicate Donald Trump in some sort of either tax fraud, tax evasion, tax malfeasance, or even worse, perhaps being beholden in IOUs to foreign international actors such as the Russians or North Koreans or Chinese? Who knows? But it is definitely an interesting development in this case, as, of course, Donald Trump famously having the six to three court in his favor as a you know former Republican president. You would imagine that at least two of these appointees, three of these appointees by Donald Trump himself, they, of course, do not stand for him, will not stand up for him. And it's just sort of comical as this is the second time they've actually shut down his argument for being non-investigatable based on the precedent of being the president that did not hold in the Supreme Court. They did not count this. uh, And it was a pretty immediate, actually. It wasn't a long, drawn-out case. They seemed to strike it down almost immediately, which is sort of surprising. Though, of course, Trump comes out to claim that it was the greatest political witch hunt in the history of our country, which is questionable, though 
uh, be it a witch hunt or not, it is definitely gaining national steam as people are finally starting to realize that Donald Trump won't be able to slow this and stop this investigation. It's not something that he has the power anymore to stop and halt through extraordinary means such as Bill Barr or many other presidential powers that seem to get him out of these situations. So now he is definitely in trouble. Of course, his sons and daughters taking to Twitter to voice their discontent over their father's apparent, you know, the mob going after their father. Though, of course, now we we really do see that with this, this presidency fallen and with Donald Trump now exposed to legal action in both criminal cases and just civil cases regarding stuff like finance, this could be a really difficult position for him as not only would you imagine to see uh, like there is going to be the individual probe that is going to look into the January 6 events that took place at the Capitol. Those riots were they incited by Donald Trump? Who knows? I mean, many people like I would say it's rather obvious that at least on a basic level, he did most primarily using evidence from the cases of those who have been caught for their actions on the 6th, them then claiming that Donald Trump was the one who called them to action, called them to arms. That seems like a rather shut and done case to me. However, not necessarily the case. The legal field is convoluted and complex, and we will have to see how that shakes out. Though, when it comes to cases like this, it's much more cut and dry. And if it is true that there are at least, or or rather, I should say there is malpractice, malfeasance within these tax records, if it shows at least even a little bit that Donald Trump may have been culpable to the whims of some international leader that perhaps we fight on a geopolitical scale, it could be drastic for him as not only is it going to bring him down in popularity with the party, the Republicans would have a serious scramble for identity as they seem to be defaulting to Trump and his populism for their next four years, next two years for the next candidates they choose to run. Even worse than that, Donald Trump would pretty much just open the floodgates to attack from all sides as if he loses that support, which is really the only thing keeping him alive right now, If he loses that support, one can only imagine the bipartisan support into the probe in the six for the Republicans to find a scapegoat. If they could finally release themselves of Trump and then have a a good reason to do so, they would most assuredly now, you know, with the tumor cut off, they would most certainly play as many cards as they can to get the blame placed on him and not people like Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz or even people like Lindsey Graham, Mike Pence and whatnot. They would jump at the chance to eat him alive if they were no longer duty bound to protect him by their base. This, of course, is a very precarious situation for Donald Trump, and we will see how it develops for him, though I got to be honest, it doesn't look good. Now, let's talk about our last story of today, that being Neera Tandon's confirmation by the Senate or unlikely confirmation, I should say. Uh, with a vote against her confirmation being stated by Senator Joe Manchin, of course, the Democrat out of West Virginia being famously almost a Republican. Uh, He remains a Democrat. However, he is incredibly wishy-washy and votes with Republicans a shocking amount of the time, though I suppose that comes with the territory of being a Democrat or an any elected official in West Virginia. It is a balanced Senate 50-50 with a tiebreaker from Kamala Harris, which should theoretically ensure any appointment Joe Biden makes to any position in the clear. However, Joe has uh, not Joe Biden, but Joe Manchin has made this difficult as it does seem that it is unlikely either of the left leaning most Republicans in the Senate are quite honestly, they're not going to vote for Mitt Romney, who is an anti-Trump 
I, I say left-leaning. I don't mean it sincerely. However, he is left of most Republicans, at least bipartisan in comparison to most Republicans. He has already stated he will not vote for Neera Tanden, citing her tweets being quite inflammatory, which was actually the same thing that Senator Joe Manchin had actually cited. It being, of course, many tweets where she, quite honestly, she said things I'm not going to say here, but she really ripped into a lot of Republicans and surprisingly ripped into a, a many number of left-leaning Democrats. And when I say left-leaning Democrats, uh, I am referencing the one man everyone is thinking, that being independent Bernie Sanders out of Vermont. He, of course, was lambasted by Neeratana multiple times on Twitter for being too left-leaning and being too anti-Hillary, for being misogynist, for running against Hillary in 2016, and a number of other things that have gotten him in a situation where he's not a big fan of Nera. Nera, of course, was attempted appointee by Joe Biden to the White House Budget Office. That, of course, is not going to happen looking at these numbers. She will not have the support to push her through, even with Kamala Harris's vote. That does shrink her prospective role as a leader throughout the White House. And quite honestly, questions where she may fall in this administration. Uh, she was expecting a position. Now it looks ever more unlikely. Uh, an option for replacement, there are two. One being Gene Sperling. He was a two-time director of the National Economic Council, uh, though there is a large issue with Gene, that being he's a man, which normally wouldn't be a problem, not at all in today's society. But Joe Biden promised to have a gender equal cabinet, which does include Nira's planned positioning, which would have, of course, put her as a woman. Gene is a man, and these numbers being pre-planned by the Biden administration do not line up to that perfect 50-50 that he had intended before. It is questionable whether or not Joe Biden will stick to this plan. Quite honestly, it's all just performative activism. The man doesn't care what gender you are as long as you don't mean any intention. Well, I should say, as long as you don't plan on having any actual effect in government, Joe Biden will put you there. So I don't think it matters to him. However, as his promise, and he doesn't want to break this one, as it will just lead the PC left into an uproar, a very tenuous hold that he has on that base at any rate, he is, is looking to actually replace, of course, with a woman. Uh, that being Anne O'Leary, who came from a stint as California Governor Gavin Newsom's chief of staff, though now we have another problem. Gavin Newsom is not doing so well right now, and especially looking like someone who wanted to hop from one position to the next. Uh, she left a little too soon as she wasn't actually guaranteed a spot in the Biden administration by Joe Biden or any of his upper admins. So she's kind of floating around right now looking for a job desperate to, to the best of my knowledge. She has both of them have worked well within the, the Dem Democratic operative White Houses of Clinton's and Obama. It does seem that they both run quite deep in the DNC. However, of course, Joe Biden came out today stating that he does believe Nero will get the votes to pass through. He has no intention of pulling out that nomination, which, of course, does seem to signal that Joe Biden's going to try and have a spine, somewhat of a backbone going into this first term of his, probably only term of his, that being because he is far too old for a second. But that comes later, of course. Joe Biden, as of now, seems to think that he's going to be able to make it make it happen. And I don't know how it's going to happen. And political analysts don't know how it's going to happen. And quite honestly, it's probably just showmanship to show that he that he's going to try and have a backbone, even facing dissidents from within his own party or the enemy party uh, in his eyes. Of course, it doesn't matter. But I, I don't think that it's it's properly going to get through. I don't think that she will be appointed. And quite honestly, I think it's for the best. I do think that she has some very 
at the very least, shady ties to some Middle Eastern countries, not, of course, being bigoted or anti anti Islamic or or any of that. I don't think that it, it matters her gender or race. Looking at the past, however, she has some exceptionally shady dealings, much like the man who is now secretary of defense. Uh, having previously worked for Raytheon and then, of course, within the first week, making a deal with Raytheon in Chile for millions and millions and billions of dollars. That is questionable to me. And that signals a breach of confidence that I don't want to see. Uh, Nira Tandon being connected to the Saudis doesn't seem to accord on her race or her gender. Rather, it's just her past. Her past dealings at least make it questionable to me for her to be anywhere near politics or anywhere near public service. So in my opinion, I'm happy to see it go. I'm happy to see her fall off. And I don't think many people will miss her, which is quite a it's just one of those things that I don't think it's it's polarizing to say you're happy to see her gone because she doesn't bring much to the table. She's she's quite honestly not that likable. She has a lot of the Hillary Clinton problem when it comes to politics. She's not a Kamala Harris with a a good at least charismatic and calm speaking way. She she gets very, very shrill and she can be quite combative as you look at her Twitter feed, which, of course, of course, before this this trial and Senate hearing had thousands of tweets deleted because, of course, she was being incredibly inflammatory online, hyper partisan and not even in a way that would seem to secure the far left. It is hyper partisan as in she is a corporate all the way through and refuses to let anyone the far right or the far left get away with any of their policy proposals. So yeah, I don't think she's incredibly popular amongst most people that care. And the worst part is she has no friends to turn to. So now she will get to watch the culmination of her life actions fail because she wanted to yell at Bernie Sanders on a uh, an app with a blue bird on it. So congrats, Nira. Uh, I don't see you going any further than this. But if she can pull it out, that would definitely make her a long-standing aide for the Biden administration. It would probably be able to roll into another Democratic administration, assuming they do win in 2024, which, again, is kind of a big ask, especially without the stimulus checks going out the door after almost a month now. So as soon as this Donald Trump headlines start to fade away, as, as soon as Donald Trump is either put in jail or fined or whatever... It's going to be Joe Biden's turn to pay up, quite honestly, and I, I don't think that he's going to be able to do it, which I think will lose them the Senate in 2022 and then, of course, the presidency in 2024. But we'll have to see. That's all in the future. And until next time. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.